I don't know about you, but I feel like we worshiped this morning, huh? I was compelled just now during that last song to just start praying. This is not always the case. In fact, I'd say usually it's not. I'm just singing. I love singing. I love that I sit on the front row so nobody else can hear me sing. (laughs) No, that's truth. Um, And uh, Denny, I'm a little bit loud. If we can just turn it down just a little bit, please. Thank you. That would be great. Um, But I was compelled to pray and, and this is what I prayed. I just, I think it's important to tell you. I, I don't normally do this. But I said, God, this is your space. You need to move. You need to come. Please move me and shove me aside. Because I, I have a feeling, for whatever reason, that there's a potential that I could just get in the way today. And I think that's why I needed to pray that. And so, we've got a tough one here today. I'll say that. Um, Welcome. (laughs) How's that for bringing you in? And before I get into it, I just, I know Laura just prayed, but I need to pray again. All right? So let's just pause. Lord, I sense your presence here today. I know I usually do, but there's, to me, it feels, maybe it's just me, but it feels different, God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move in a way that only you can. Set me aside. I'm going to pray it again. Move me out of the way. And would you speak to people as only you can? Help us to be open and listen and respond in whatever way that's supposed to be. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I don't know about you, but I love sports. And have you noticed that after sports, there's this tradition, there's this ritual that we do, this etiquette, that after you play the game, you go by and you shake hands, right? You, you give high fives or low fives, whatever. You kind of line up and they do the thing, like, you know, all that. And then my son, he's at the age in soccer where after they do that, you know what they do? They run around the field and they come by and they do high fives or low fives to all the parents along the side. Have you ever wondered how many germs we pass around when we're doing that? And, and, you know, anybody worried about that or, or like uh, this is, uh, and, and uh, let me just say this, after a sports game and we're doing fives, you know what you're getting? You're getting nose and face rubs, sweatiness, it's like slime, there it is, yeah. Now, now here's why I bring that up, okay? What do we say when we're doing all these handshakes and high fives and stuff? What's the phrase that we say? Say it out loud. Good game. Good game, good game, good game, good game, good game, good game. That's what we do, right? You look at each person, and you try to time it so that you say good game to every person, but it's always too fast, right? And so you're in between the good game as, like, people are flying by. Good game, good game, good game. Here's what I want to ask you today. What makes something good? What makes a person good? What makes anything good? Good. When we say good game, do we mean, well, we played a good game? Does it mean you won and so it was a good game because we won? What about the team that lost? Is it still a good game for them? Good game, good game, good game. What makes something 
good. Hold that thought. Today, we're starting a brand new series. It's a four-week series, so we're going to be in it all November. Some of you are going to love that. Some of you are going to be like, oh, please, let's move on from this series right now. That's okay. But this series is called Cow Tipping. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Sounds like a lot of fun, right? Sounds lighthearted. Sounds easy. We're going to talk about cow tipping. Now, when I say cow tipping, my guess is there's a couple of different mental images that happen for a lot of us in the room. Some of us, we have images of drunk college kids running into a farmer's field, finding a bunch of cows and seeing who, which one they can tip over, right? And you're like, yep, that's cow tipping. Some of you, that's what you're thinking. That's your mental image right now. Some of you, your mental image is a movie scene. There's this guy named Tommy Boy, right? And, and he's down there, and he's telling this other guy, he's showing him what to do. He's like, you get down there like this, and you, then you put your shoulder into her, and you push, right? And then the other character, the other actor in there, right, he says, well, then what? And he says, Tommy Boy says, and they fall over. <laughs> and he laughs and jiggles like that, right? You remember that? And then the cow tipping doesn't go too well, right? Why? Because it's actually somewhat of an urban myth. You can't just tip cows over. Did you know that? You cannot take one human being. It is physically impossible if the cow knows that you're there, and they always do, because they're not going to just stand there and be like, cool, watch this, and fall over. They don't do that. They're either going to move, they're going to kick, they're going to run, or they're going to simply shift their weight. They're very large animals. What They've actually done studies on this, and it, on average, it takes six people to knock a cow over. Six people. So, I am not advocating for cow tipping here today, all right? So don't, some, some of you in the room, you're like, man, I know what I'm doing this weekend, all right? Okay. Your pastor is not advocating for cow tipping. I think it's probably not good on for the animals. It's definitely not good for the farmer, right? I'm not advocating for cow tipping, but here's what we are going to talk about. For this month, we're going to talk about a different type of cow tipping. What kind of cow tipping are we talking about? We're going to tip over sacred cows this month. Mm. Sacred cows is what we're going to push over, not actual cows. Sacred cows, let's just talk about it. Sacred cows are very simply things that we hold very tightly to. Things that we hold on to very, very closely. But here's the problem with sacred cows. Sacred cows are sacred cows, not because they're actually sacred, but they're things that we hold on to when they're either not true, they're irrelevant, or they're not helpful. Did you catch those three? Because it's really important. Sacred cows are things that we hold tightly to. They could be things, they could be beliefs, they could be ideas that we have of how things should be, but we hold on to them and they're not true or they're irrelevant or they're not helpful. Can I be honest? Most sacred cows are all three. Not true, irrelevant, not helpful. So today, we are going to get into it. We're going to tip over a sacred cow, but I'm not going to give it to you just yet. So, let's get to our story today in Scripture. Our story in Scripture today, let me set up the context. So, Jesus and the disciples are crossing a big lake in a boat. 
And this is the infamous scene where uh, the storm comes up and the waves are crashing in and Jesus is sleeping and the disciples get scared and they wake Jesus up. They're like, Jesus, we're going to drown. We're going to die. You need to save us. And then he gets up. He's like, why do you have so little faith? And he just basically says, storm, stop. I don't think that's exactly what he said. It doesn't record it. But it says he rebuked the wind and the rain and the waves. He rebuked them. And it instantly became calm. Okay? That's not the story we're talking about. Some of you are like, ooh, that would be a good story. Sorry, we're not going to do that one. We're going to talk about the story that happens right after that. A far less well-known one, a weirder one. It's what happens right after that. They get across the lake. They unload out of the boat. Let's pick up the story there. Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to start with verse 28. When Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake... In the region of the Gadarenes, two men who were possessed by demons met him. They came out of the tombs and were so violent that no one could go through that area. They began screaming at him, Why are you interfering with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance. So the demons begged, if you cast us out, send us into that herd of pigs. All right, go, Jesus commanded them. So the demons came out of the men and entered the pigs. And the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town telling everyone what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then... The entire town came out to meet Jesus, but they begged him to go away and leave them alone. There's a lot going on there, isn't there? <laughs> Demon-possessed people, pigs, whole town, his disciples are there. They just crossed this lake. Man, there's a lot going on in this story, isn't there? So let's unpack it for a minute. There's these two guys, they're demon-possessed. And they're so violent, nobody can go through this particular area. And they come up to Jesus, and Jesus and the disciples get out, and so they kind of come together. They meet, right? And immediately, the demons start talking to Jesus. Here's the first thing I want to address in the room. There are some of you in the room right now, some of you online that are listening right now, you don't believe that demons and spiritual evil exist. You don't. You think, you think these are fanciful stories that somebody came up with in order to make a point. I'm here to tell you, demonic power exists, spiritual evil exists, it's alive and well in this world, and we need to take it serious. I just came back from a day-long meeting in, on Friday in Michigan at our regional ministry office. And in, uh, during these meetings, we get updates from uh, the staff of the Great Lakes region who is over all the churches in the three states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Illinois. And during one of these uh, reports, uh, one of the staff who specifically cares for a specific subset of pastors uh, was telling two different stories of two different pastors in two different communities. This didn't happen a couple years ago. It happened just in these last few weeks who have come face to face with people who are possessed by demons and a warlock, a male witch, 
just so that we know what that is, okay? This is not video game stuff. An actual witch who came in to try to possess the front area of a physical church building with an item. Now, some of you are sitting here looking at me like, uh, that's weird. I know it is. And because it's weird, we don't talk about it. But maybe we should. Because these two pastors faced some really intense, really dark stuff in these last few weeks. Now, I can tell you that the end of the story is the reason they were telling him is because they have really good endings. The two people that were demon-possessed got baptized last week. <laughs> they were freed. And the church that had this Wiccan stuff that was placed in there, I'll just say this, I'm not going into details, but it took a lot of effort to destroy the item that should have been very easy to, to, to do. But they did. They got rid of it. If you're here and you're wondering if demonic power, evil, spiritual evil exists, I'm here to tell you it does. We don't like to talk about it. I know. Some of you are sitting here right now. If, if I was sitting there, I know what I'd be feeling. I'm being honest. I would be like, can we just move on? This is a little squirmy part. Can we be honest, right? I mean, how many of you are like, let's talk about demonic power more. This is great. No, of course we don't. We don't want to hear about this. This is a church. We want to hear about Jesus. We want to hear about God. Well, let's understand something. We need to understand and be serious about this side of it so we understand how serious we need to be about the Jesus side of it. You know what I'm saying? And so these two demon-possessed men, they come in and, and they're, they're possessed by these demons. They're so strong. They're so violent because of this demonic power. Nobody can even go near them. But now Jesus and disciples, are, they're face-to-face. -face. Now, Here's what I have to tell you. Demonic power is real, but you don't have to be scared of it. You know why? You know why, don't you? Because Jesus, because God has complete authority over all of it. You don't have to be scared. You shouldn't be scared. Because God has complete authority. Let's go back to the story. Verses 29 and 30, what does it say? They get out. These are the guys, the guys walk up to him, and this is what happens. They, these are the demons, by the way, the demons began screaming at Jesus. Why are you interfering with us, Son of God? Notice they called him Son of God. They know who he is. The demons are very clear about who is standing in front of them. They know who he is. They just called him by his name, by his title, Son of God. And then catch this. This is interesting. Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? Do you know what that tells you? The demons know their future. And it's not a good one. The demons know their future. They're asking Jesus, have you come to torture us? Because we thought it was a little further down the road. And, and are you here to mess with us now? Are you here to uh, exert your authority now? God, is that what you're doing? They know their time is numbered. They know that they've got a bad future. That's what they're asking. Jesus, did we get the timing wrong? There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance. So the demons begged, if you cast us out, send us into that herd of pigs. 
Notice that the demons know who he is. They believe in Jesus. They believe in God. I've said this a few times before at our church, and this is important. I'm glad we need to start with belief. We need to start with faith, absolutely. But we need to take it a step further. Because even the demons believe in God. They do. They believe in God. They know who he is. They just declared it. And they know he has complete authority. And so we've got to move on because it's what we do with our faith. It's what we do with our belief that matters. To counteract demonic power and spiritual evil in this life. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a bit of a heavy story so far. Isn't it? But, but let's get to the good part for a minute. Okay? I'm sorry we're not going to stay there, but let's get to the good part. Okay? The good part of this story is what? We have two men that were possessed by demons. They could not be with their family. They could not be in the town. They could not live their life. They were not able to live their life. We don't know if it was for months or weeks or years. We don't know, but it's been a while. Long enough for everybody to know you don't go into that area because those two people, they will kill you. But they have this demonic power and Jesus, in a few words, sends all of these demons out. And by the way, this is written this story is recorded in two other gospel books, three different gospel books. I read the one in Matthew. There's two other gospel books, two other people that record this story as well. And this demon we find in there, these demons are called legion. They're called legion because there's not one, there's many demons that were infected in them, possessed in them. And Jesus, with a few words, sends them out. Now, let's just pause for a moment. In fact, I'm not... I'm not even going to say what I have written there. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're facing, God is stronger than whatever you're facing. What is it? What is it that you're facing right now? Is it loneliness? Is it despair? Is it anger? Is it frustration? Is it lust? Is it conflict at work? Is it conflict in your family? Is it both? What are you facing? Whatever you're facing, it could even be demonic power. It exists. It's real. It's very possible. It's, it's alive in some people in our church. What are you facing? Let me tell you, Jesus has the authority He's stronger and can help you get rid of it. The beautiful part of the story is two men are freed from demonic possession. That's awesome. And you know what happens? The response of the one guy, we don't know about the other guy, but the one guy, we learn this from the other stories in the other Gospels. I didn't read this one. But what we find out is this guy, one of the guys comes up to Jesus and says, hey, I want to follow you. I want to be with you. I want to I just be physically with you as long as I can. And Jesus says, no, I can't have you do that. I need you to go back to your family. Go back and tell everybody about what God did for you. In other words, Jesus is saying, that would be awesome. However, you have a family. You need to be with your family. Go back to your life. You haven't been in your life for a long time. And so Jesus sends him back and he goes back and he's with his family and he tells everyone he possibly can about what God did in his life. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Have you ever seen somebody freed from addiction? Man, I have. It's powerful. 
once somebody's freed from something that's controlled them their whole life, it's amazing. Isn't it? The healing that happens. So this is a beautiful part of the story, but, <laughs> but, let's talk about the hard part of the story for a minute. This was a really good day for the two guys that were freed from the demons, right? But can we be honest? Think about it. This was a really bad day for the pig farmer. Am I right? Now, I was just watching a video with our youth, our high school teens, and, and they didn't even talk about this story. It was just mentioned, like for, I don't know, 10 seconds or something like that. Bob Goff said something about this story. He just highlighted it and then moved on. And he mentioned that. He said, man, it was a bad day for the pig farmer. And then he said this. He said, it's an even worse day for the pigs. It's true. But I want us to pause for a moment and think about that. Jesus has just freed two men from demonic possession, but he sent the demons into the pigs, and we find out from the other gospel story that it was 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of pigs. This pig farmer and the herdsman and probably the entire town is potentially resting on the income of those pigs. And they're now gone. Just like that. They just drown. Does that mess with your theology a little bit? It does mine. The truth is, this is a really great day for the two guys, but it's a really hard day for the big farmer and, and the other people connected to the town that are like, that was our livelihood. Let me read what happens on the heels of that. You guys remember it? I read this. Verses 33 and 34. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town, telling everyone what happened to the demon-possessed men. This was a weird day for them, right? Then the entire town came out to meet Jesus, but they begged him to go away and leave them alone. Do you notice the two responses in this story? On the one hand, you have at least one of the guys that says, man, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to do everything for you. And then on the other side, you have the herdsman and the pig farmer and the town. And they're like, they come up to Jesus. And they're like, wow, this really happened. That's amazing. Um, Jesus, we don't want anything to do with you. Would you please leave us alone? Would you please get out of here? We don't want you. That's kind of the tragic part of the story, isn't it? So it brings up, and you're kind of wondering, you're like, man, for calling this series cow tipping, this is a really serious, heavy, like, sermon. So what's the sacred cow? What is, what is the sacred cow that I think that these people are holding on to that was destroyed in this story? Here's the sacred cow I think that a lot of us hold on to. It's not going to be easy to hear, but I, th I think we hold on to it. I think we believe this in, in some level that we never say. We, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say this out loud. But I think it's a sacred cow that's buried deep in here and in here. Can I tell you what it is? Here's the sacred cow. God is good as long as he does what I want. God is good as long as he 
does what I think is right. God is good as long as he agrees with my view of how culture should be. God is good. See, I think that our view of God being good is filtered through how we feel and how things are going. And I think that this is the difference that we see in here. The one, he's like, man, this is a great day. Woo, God is good. I hear that. In fact, I heard that this week from somebody. God is good. They just had a really good day. God is good. Later that night, I had a conversation about somebody that was having the worst day, the worst week of their life. Is God still good? This is an important question, isn't it? This is an important sacred cow that we have to tackle, that we have to handle. And let's just get really honest here. been seeing some of your faces all morning and you're walking through some of the hardest stuff that you've ever walked through in your life right now I know that I see you I see you I know you're walking through it right now because I've talked to so many of you and I'm here to tell you that God is good, especially when and even when it doesn't feel like it. Especially when and even when your comfort, maybe it's in a person, maybe it's in a thing, maybe it's in a job, maybe it's in a, I don't know what it is, but you lost that. God is here. In fact, let me just highlight that for a minute. So, one of the scriptures that I hear read at funerals a lot, and sometimes I, I'm, I'm the one doing that, of course, uh, is Psalm 23. You guys know Psalm 23. It's, it's one that we usually hear in the King James Version. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That one, you know what I'm talking about? And... And, and Psalm 23 is very interesting because it starts really positive and it ends really positive, right? The Lord is my shepherd, there's green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters, he restores my soul. I mean, how many of us are like, oh, he restores my soul? This is good stuff. And then it ends, Psalm 23 ends with this. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. Oh, thank you, Lord. My cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy is going to follow me all the days of my life. We're like, woo, yes, this is so good, the promises of God. And then we read verse 4 that's in the middle. You guys know that one, right? It's been quoted Hundreds of times by people and on walls and also in movies. In the King James Version, well, let me just read it in this version, NIV version. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, it's, it's somewhat encouraging, but it talks about this, the, the darkest valley. It talks about in the King James Version, you know what it's called? You guys know what it's called, right? 
in the, in the valley of the shadow of death. Now that's ominous, right? I don't know about you, but when I read it in the NIV, through the darkest valley, you're like, well, maybe it's just nighttime, you know? But when the King James Version, I think this is, honestly, I think this is why some people like the King James Version, because it's like very poetic, you know? It's very poetic. And they're like, in the valley of the shadow of death. Well, that's not mincing words, right? That's not messing around. This is not a good valley. This is a valley you want to avoid. You do not want anything to do with this valley. <laughs> the valley of the shadow of death. Not a good valley. Now, let's just be honest for a minute. Can we get real? Let's be real. I feel like we have, but let's, let's be real. If I was going to be honest... There's been a few things in the last couple of years of my life where I read this verse and here's what I like. In fact, I heard somebody say this. It may have been in that same video that we were watching with the high school boys. Honestly, I can't remember. But somebody said in the valley of the shadow of death, it would really be great if God would give us a helicopter ride out of the valley of the shadow of death. I think it was a speaker a couple of weeks ago at, at an event that I was at. I think that's where it was. That I heard somebody say that. It would really be awesome if God would send in a helicopter with a line, drop it down, a little basket. You know those baskets you get rescued in. And, and you could just hop into it. And Jesus says, you in? I got you. Let's go. And fly you out of the valley of the shadow of death and land you on a mountain. And, some, and that's for me, right? Some of you are like a beach somewhere in the tropics. Right out of the valley of shadow of death. Right onto the beach, white sand, warm water, psh, done. Drink? Okay, we're good. That's what we want God to do. We know if God does that, God is good. But that's not what he says he's going to do. There's no helicopter ride in Psalm 23. But you know what he does promise? Did you catch it? Even though... I am in the valley of the shadow of death. Even though I'm in it, I'm walking through it, I'd like to be out of it. What does it say? You, God, are what? You're with me. You're with me. You're with me. God is with you. God is with you. He's with you. You're not taking a helicopter ride together, but you are taking a walk together, and he's with you in the valley. Yes. God is good all the time. Not because of what is happening or not happening around us, but because he is. Period. God is good. Period. Let's go back to the story for a moment. Have you been asking yourself this question? Why the pigs? I, I, I'm getting it by the head nods and the laughter. You're like, that's what I was thinking. Yep, yeah, me too, right? 
you go, okay, all of this story makes sense. He clears, like, he frees the two men from demons. He's showing the disciples what he can do. He's got ultimate authority. We don't have to fear demonic power. We don't have to fear spiritual evil. Like, all of this stuff, they move on. There's some cool stuff that happens in this chapter after this. Wow, this is great. And everything is awesome, except for the pigs. Come on! Without the pigs, this is an amazing story. So why the pigs? Well, here's what I did. You know what I did? I spent a portion of this week studying Scripture. I read it in several different translations. I looked at the original Greek words of when they were originally written to see, is there anything in there you know, that, that tells us all this kind of stuff? Can I just tell you what I discovered? Nothing. It's truth. I looked it up. By the way, I'll just say that. There are a lot of weirdos out there that have some weird ideas about the pigs. I did find that. I'm like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. It's clearly not that. I found a lot of non-answers. But, but here's the truth. There is no answer. How many of you love that? I don't either. I don't know about you, but I like answers. When my dad died two years ago, I wanted answers. I'd still like answers. I'm not angry at God. I really am not. But it doesn't make any sense that he would serve God his entire life and live an extremely healthy and fit life. And he's gone before a lot of other people that haven't even come close to that. Again, I'm not bitter. It sounds like I am. I'm not. I'm just saying it doesn't make sense. There's no answer for that. Does that make sense? I was on the phone. Well, I was driving with my son Jackson on Friday no, it was Thursday night. I was on my way to Michigan. Jackson was with me. Good father-son time. Windshield time is great. We're just hanging out, having a good time. And I got a call from a good friend. Attends this church. And this particular family in our church is going through the valley of the shadow of death currently. And this person called me. He called me, and it was like 10.45 at night. We got to our hotel really late, didn't we, Jackson? And he called me, and he said, he said, Brent, I just, I just need to talk to somebody. And the reason he called was, even though they're walking through the valley of the shadow of death currently as a family, and I already knew that. I've already talked to him. I've prayed for him several times. Uh, he called to say that something else tragic had just happened on top of it. And I said at least once, maybe, maybe more than once, I can't remember. I said, I have no answers for this. Maybe having answers is not the thing. 
maybe trusting in spite of the lack of answers is the thing. I want to end with one final scripture and then I'll tell you what we're going to do. This scripture was written by David. And uh, this is the David who is going to become King David of Israel. Okay? Uh, this is long before he becomes King David of Israel. This is, he's just David. Uh, he has just recently killed Goliath and defeated the Philistines. And so David is a hero of sorts in Israel, but now because of his hero status, King Saul, the king of Israel right now, he wants to kill David, and so David is on the run. When David runs away from King Saul because he doesn't want to die, he ends up being captured by, guess who? The Philistines. His enemies, the ones who he just defeated in battle. The very guy that the Philistines would probably love to get their hands on to get revenge and, and do harm to is David. And now David is running for his life and he ends up in the Philistines, the enemy that he just defeated. And they would love to do anything they can to him. That's who, that's who captured him. I want to give you the context because this is what David writes in that moment. It specifically tells us that he wrote it during this time. Listen to what he says. Psalm 56, 1 through 4. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my, catch this, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Do you sense David's trust in that moment? He's like, God, things don't look good. Please be merciful. This is bad. But he ends by saying what? But I trust you. I trust you. So I'm going to end with this thought. Jackson and I were driving back home from Michigan in the car. We were listening to worship music, talking, hanging out, having a good time. He was also texting his girlfriend. Okay, truth be told, that's what's going on. Totally fine. But Jackson and I were just hanging out, listening to worship music, talking. We were having a great time. And then God called me on my phone. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry about that. I, just, I had to. It's where my brain went. But God did call me. Not on a phone. All of a sudden in that moment, God told me how we're supposed to end the service today. Late Friday night, in a car with my son. So I called somebody and let them know that it definitely messes up our plan here. And so we're going to do something that we've never done before. And it's going to require a fair amount of courage on your part. It's requiring a bit of courage on my part, I'll say that. 
but it's going to require a lot of courage on your part. So Laura and I were at an event two weeks ago, a retreat of sorts, and we had just done some amazing worship music. And uh, an invitation was given by the pastor, by the speaker of this. There's hundreds of people there. And there was an invitation given for us to come forward to uh, surrender to God something that we knew we needed freedom from God for. Essentially, it was an invitation to trust God in some way. We were going to sing a final song and all kind of stuff. And so as soon as the song started, my wife, Laura, she was on this side. She had to get this way. She just, she moved past me as fast as possible. As soon as the song, she was down on her knees in the front. There were a few others, but she was the only one I was caring about at that point. And what God had been speaking to me was that I needed to be freed from something as well. And I was a little more hesitant. Men in the room, have you ever recognized that sometimes we marry way up? I did. I'd be, I mean that honestly. <laughs> and, and I was listening to God and I was like, okay, God, I get it. I need to do this too. And so I moved out of my seat and I knelt down on my knees in front of everybody uh, at the front right next to Laura. And we sobbed. And surrendered what we had to to God. Now, I'm not going to tell you what Laura and I talked afterwards. I'm not going to tell you what she said. Because that's for her to share if she wants. But I had to surrender anger. Now, most of you don't, wouldn't know that. Because my anger is very, very soft, very easy. Most, most of the time, my anger, people are like, that was anger. <laughs> Come on. but I've had a fair amount of it hidden, tucked away in here. A lot of it stems from grief. Some of it stems from COVID. Some of it stems from some other things. Basically, nobody else knows that, and I knew I had to release it to God. I had to trust God with my anger because I'd been holding on to it. The reason I tell that is because what we're going to do today is we're going to sing a final song. But we're not just going to stand and sing. I want to invite you to take a step of courage today. And that step of courage, for some of you this is going to be easy. For some of you this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. I have asked several people who are in this room they're going to go stand at the back here in a moment when, when I ask them to. And they're going to be kind of in a semicircle around the back. And they are specific, very powerful prayer warriors in our midst. I know this because they pray all the time for a lot of things. And so when we sing this song, we're all going to be standing, so it's going to be easy physically. <laughs> I want to invite you. Is there something that you need to trust God more in? Is there something that you're not trusting God with?
you've been holding on to. That you need to trust that he's good. You need to trust that he's got you, that he's with you in that valley. It might be a parenting issue. It might be a marriage issue. It might be a work issue. It might be a lust issue. It might be an addiction issue. It might be, I don't know. It might be that you've lost somebody that you love and you've been angry at God since. That was a little bit of mine that I had to release. Would you be willing to walk back to somebody that maybe you know, maybe you don't know, and let them pray for you? That's all. They're gonna pray for you. That's it. And, and, and let me tell you, you don't have to tell us anything except your name. If you wanna give us a statement, you probably need to keep it short because there may be a lot of people. But if you wanna tell us what you need to trust God for, you can say that. Quick statement, that's fine. But all you have to give us is your name because we're gonna pray for you by name. And then trust me that the people who are praying, they will discern the Holy Spirit as to what they're supposed to pray. You can trust that. So we're gonna sing, and I wanna invite you to not walk out of this room until you've had somebody pray for you to receive the kind of trust from God that you know you need to have. And every one of us in here needs something different. That's okay. Will you lay it down and allow somebody to pray this over you? as we sing this next song. So I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. If they end up, if we end up with a lot of people going back, that's cool. We know how to do lines, right? Let's pray. Lord, in this moment, we are yours. Lord, you see my hands are out and they're up. They're facing up, ready to receive what you have because we can't do this without you. You've promised that you're good and you've promised that you are with us in the valley. You didn't promise a helicopter ride out, but you promise that you're with us. And so as we sing this next song, as we declare our trust in you and as we seek to be prayed over for whatever we need trust in, whatever we need to trust you for, I pray that, that all of these prayers, all of this moment, everything that's here, that you would just rule and reign in this place. Again, that, that everything else would be swept aside and that we would be simply yours. Help us to surrender to you now. Anybody in here that needs your touch, your hand, your trust in their life, I pray that they would receive it 
in these next few moments. We thank you, God, for all that you do for us, that you are good. Move in this place, we ask and pray. In your name, Jesus, amen. Would you stand?